And we are live with our 42nd episode of Absolute Absec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my co-host Seth Law at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Welcome to 2019. I guess this is season two of Absolute Absec. Um, we're, we're excited to be back. We've got a lot planned for this year. We're excited for the episode today. I, you know, there's all things look bright in application security or dark, depending on your viewpoint, right? Half glass, empty, half, half glass full kind of person, person, but, uh, we're excited. Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, we've got the team from segment with us tonight. Um, there's a lot that we want to get to and to talk about. But yeah, welcome back, right? Yeah, it's been a few weeks. It's been a, it's always weird trying to get back into the groove after a few weeks of um, like not doing anything, right? Like it uh, doesn't matter if it's a podcast or just whatever. Like if you, if you don't do something for a few weeks, it can, it can be a bit difficult to, to get back into it. But I think we're going to be good. We got the whole segment team here. Uh, well, parts of the segment team here um, to talk about a few interesting things. Um, there, the, there are a couple things to mention. One is that AppSec California is occurring here in uh, just a couple weeks. So if you are, um, in the California area, or if for some reason you can now just like in two weeks book your travel, then sure you should definitely go. Um, but a good reminder that AppSec Cali is occurring in a couple weeks and that Seth and I are also uh, giving training during the training days there. So that's January 21st and 22nd and the conference i think is 23rd 24th i think it's mm-hmm. training is 22nd 23rd it was it was a good try there ken but not I, quite the <laughs> training is 22nd 23rd conference is 24th 25th yep and okay. then anyone still needs tickets you can use the code owasp 25 off for the conference that doesn't work for the training but if you're still buying a, a conference ticket that'll get you a little discount so that was OWASP 25 off? Yep. Perfect. And I think the OWASP, the OWASP is all caps. I'm not sure if that actually matters for Eventbrite or not. But yeah, OWASP 25 lowercase off. Oh, cool. Yeah, we'll put that out there, at least on our like Slack channels and everything else. Um, yeah, it'd be good to meet up with everyone out at AppSet Cali or any place else, obviously. Um, for the training, right, Ken, that's Tuesday, Thursday. I think that's two weeks from today, actually, is when we kick that off. Oh, yeah. And you'd think I'd know the dates, considering we're giving training. <laughs> but, yeah, two weeks from now on the head. So I'm looking forward to it because the weather here sucks. And also, it's an awesome conference, to be very clear. It's an awesome conference. Before we go into – and uh, Leaf is part of that. Dave, David, I believe you're part of that as well. Yep. Yeah. We'll, we'll both be speaking. Uh, I help organize for it. So yeah, we'll, we'll both be down there. I think some other people from the segment team will be down there. And uh, it sounds like a lot of previous podcast guests will be there as well. So it should be fun. Yeah, it's crazy. It's going to be like meeting up with everyone. I'm pretty excited. Yeah, we, we, we may have to have an absolute AppSec, uh, you know, night out or something, right? Drinks. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll figure something out. We'll put it out there to all the guests and see who's available. Cool. So I guess we'll, uh, we'll dig right into it. So um, before we get into Leaf and David's uh, backstory, uh, we are actually going to um, have a uh, shill Russell, and I hope I'm saying your name correctly, 
from the segment engineering team from SRE specifically discuss uh, a little bit about DNS rebinding. Um, so first of all, Ashil, say hi. Hello. So, um, and hopefully the camera switches back. We have this weird thing with Hangouts where sometimes the, the camera doesn't switch automatically, but we'll, we'll figure it out. So um, the, the first thing we wanna get into is have you discuss like the concept of SSRF DNS, not SSRF, just SSRF DNS rebinding. I think we've talked about SSRF on this episode quite a, or uh, on this podcast quite a bit. Um, so yeah, the, the, the concept of SSRF uh, and DNS, or DNS rebinding, uh, and then the solution that you've uh, worked up um, to sort of help with that. Sure thing. Um, so we have quite a unique problem at segment, I'd say, where we're like uh, connecting one half of the internet to the other. And that involves a lot of um, public connections to APIs that we have no control over. And uh, we're also sending data that is not ours. We're carrying our customers' data throughout our infrastructure and to, um, to public destinations. And so there's a lot of opportunities for uh, our own system to be uh, exploited in ways that it was not uh, intended to. And this is especially true on the very last mile of our pipeline, which we call integrations, and which are the, the service that is uh, sending the data to uh, tools like Google Analytics or Mixpanel, uh, or like more raw versions, like just simple web hooks or Amazon Kinesis. And obviously, uh, customers can input their own configuration there because they have their own endpoint that they want to route their data to, their own account. And so um, we don't have much control or ways to verify that those endpoints are legit. Uh, however, what we know is that they have to be public endpoints. So we don't want uh, a malicious uh, uh, individual to like attempt to tap our own internal services from a webhook that would have been designed to like uh, be rerouted to internal addresses. And so the, as we were in a startup a couple of years ago, uh, the initial uh, solution we had to this was do a genius resolution, uh, check out the address that uh, you get, and then verify that it falls within, uh, well, that it doesn't fall within a couple of uh, private IP ranges that we use. And if that's the case, then we allow uh, the request to go through. Now, this is a typical uh, attack vector for genius rebinding because there's a race condition between when you do the, the first resolution and then you, you validate and the actual connection that is gonna be employed to serve the request, those might be completely different. So what, uh, what we came up with is, um, but basically the, the, the main thing that you wanna do here is ensure that the, the address that you verify is also the one that you're gonna to use to send the request. And this is often made uh, complicated by uh, like software abstractions because you're going to have the, the actual DNS resolution and TCP connection that the, the requests are going to go through are going to be very like decoupled in multiple layers away from the actual application that is uh, sending the request. So you have the uh, uh, connection pooling, uh, HTTP client library, maybe some like uh, third-party libraries that you use on top of this because they have their own SDK to interact and like support authentication and stuff like this. So there's, there's it becomes really hard to uh, actually get to the bottom of the stack where you want to, to do this verification. 
and especially in technologies like uh, JavaScript, which we use for this um, this part of the, the stack. And so um, we first implemented a solution for uh, Golang, uh, which is this like major uh, like the, the main programming language that we use. And uh, in Go, you have this concept of a dialer, which is the abstraction to, to establish uh, network connections. So what we did is we modified, uh, like we introduced a wrapper of the, the dial function that is used that handles both the uh, verification of the IP that is going, sorry, it handles the resolution of the, the address, verification of the IP, and establishment of the connection. So because all the things happen at the same layer, then there's no risk anymore to have the request being sent over a connection that we have not verified. It also has um, a performance improvements over a solution where you check on every request, because now, once you've established a connection, it's not going to be routed anywhere else until it's closed, which means every request you can send over this connection doesn't need to be verified anymore. You have validated that this link was safe. Now, it's, this is a, a Go solution that we have in a package and we're going to open source soon. Uh, however, uh, it doesn't work in the use case of uh, JavaScript, for example, because now it's a different programming language. Uh, you, need, you need a JavaScript version of that to, um, to, to integrate with uh, the services. Or um, the solution that we came up with is to actually build a... Uh, kind of like a, a container, a new form of container runtime that is going to run a JavaScript application. And it will intercept every outgoing connections, reroute it to a local server, and uh, decode all the, the, the outgoing requests, inspect where they were intended to be routed to, and then apply this, uh, this DNS writing protection logic on the on the the way out. So is it language agnostic in the sense that uh, it's just it's just like the the protection mechanism for the container itself, like the networking bit for the container? Exactly. So basically, there's a bunch of IP table routes that ensure that all outbound tra traffic is going to get rerouted to a local server. The local server is capturing the connection, uh, pretending to be the remote endpoint, but uh, and, and so it like reads the request, and then for as it forwards it, it will apply the security checks. And this cool. is totally agnostic because it's a separate uh, binary that basically acts as the entry point of the Docker container that we run our application in. Cool. My only question on that has to do with localhost, right? Where you know the the local you know container you know, routing doesn't actually hit that IP tables. Right? How is it, how are you handling that in those cases? So the, the IP table, um, is it even sending 127.0.0.1 out that same? No, so, so the, 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 when you have a container, you have a, a totally separate network stack. So when you're creating IP tables, they're actually getting created in the network namespace of the container, they, do, they have they, they don't conflict with the IP tables uh, that, that might be set on the host okay. by Docker or other systems. But also, uh, that container runtime that I'm talking about that we call Netsy is actually uh, creating another network namespace in, 
in which it's going to run the application. So the app has no choice but to go through the, the, that network stack, like that sub-network stack, in order to reach the public internet, which means that we, we're able to like, intercept everything, including uh, like what might go through localhost, which in, in this case, like 127.001, is actually another uh, sub-loopback interface that is connected to absolutely nothing. OK, cool. And so that's all written in Go as well? Is that, you know, you, you've just basically implemented that library inside uh, of the container? Pull in the, the package that we, we yeah. build the uh, checks in. That's awesome. And um, you were saying that it's going to be open sourced. You did mention earlier that it was sometime this month. I, I mean, do you have any more details about that as far as like what the project's name is going to be, anything along those lines that people can watch out for? Yeah. So the. Um, the, the package, is good. we're going to open source the package first because it's one of the dependencies, and so we want to make sure that all the dependencies are public before we get the project. Uh, the package is called Net, uh, NetSec uh, for network security. Um, so it'll be a bunch of uh, Go tools that we use in our in various services to like for security checks. Um, this is likely coming out in the next, yeah, like by the end of the month, just doing like a little bit of documentation around it. Um, the, the main project uh, that, that I was just talking about is called Netsy. And uh, this we're targeting sometime in February for the, the public release. Sweet. Cool. And that, so can people, you know, I mean, where would they be notified when this is actually released? Is it just following you on Twitter? Or how would they get notified of that? We'll have a, um, a blog post release very likely that okay. comes with it, uh, explaining the story of how we came to, to build this technology. Uh, the couple of use cases that we we use it for now, and um, it'll be posted on Hacker News. So I would say watch for that. <laughs> well, I'm sure everyone's gonna on this. This is uh, watching Hacker News, uh, so it should be should come up. And we can uh, David or myself when the blog actually comes out, we can shoot it over to you guys, and then whatever the like week's episode is, you can just include it as like a follow up in the show notes. So we can uh, try and stay on top of that as well. Yeah, awesome. yeah, if we see if, if we see it, we'll tweet it back out and, you know, copy it out into you know, send it out our channels as well as well as talk about it. Uh, yeah, I I'm, I'm interested to see the performance and how it actually works. So, um, yeah, great work, man. I let's you know, let's let's get it out there and get it used cuz we're seeing so much SSRF recently. Um, <laughs> Yeah. yeah, actually, it's funny you mentioned um, uh, the abstraction because just la literally like Thursday or Friday of last week, I was digging into, I was just curious about uh, Faraday, the Ruby gem. And it was like, but it came because I was like curious about like the errors that get sent back. And yeah, so it's like Faraday, which wraps, I don't know if I'm saying this right, Typhius or something like that. And then that, at, like when I was really, there was some confusion. I was really digging down then that ultimately wraps around libcurl. So just for like one HTTP outbound Faraday call, that's the, the three levels of abstraction you're dealing with just on that alone. So yeah, it's difficult. In this case, it might be even harder to implement this checks because now you need to deal with like a third party, like C library. And then you need to like implement those verification in news. It's like, yeah, it can be a hell. <laughs> Absolutely. And having language agnostic solutions is like, that's perfect. So like when you guys do have it released for 
yeah, we'll, we'll make sure we follow up on that week's episode about it and give a link out and a shout out back to this episode and all that fun stuff. Good. Sweet. Thanks, Michelle. Uh, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I think, I don't know if you're going to stick around or, or not, but you're welcome to, uh, whatever you want to do. Um, and then we'll jump in. That's kind of like our AppSec minute for this week anyway. Um, so and then <laughs> that, that's the episode. We're just going to cut it there. <laughs> We're done. <laughs> so Ashil Russell, we definitely appreciate you explaining that, the, the work you're doing. Um, and we really look forward to not only when you release it, but also like playing with it. And I can tell you like, uh, you know, I work for GitHub. We definitely have interest in, in interest in this. So, uh, yeah, like I'm, I'm genuinely looking forward to it. Not just from a, not just from a curiosity perspective, but also from like a job perspective. So stuff that's helpful. Yeah. Thanks, yeah, thanks, sure. thanks for the invite. Yeah. yeah. Thanks so much. We'll make sure they send you a shirt. <laughs> I swear it, we will send you a shirt. It's on my <laughs> list. I, I have them sitting right here. I just didn't get them out. I slacked. I went skiing. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I've got a box right down there. Like that yeah. box is from you, Seth, that you sent me, and I just haven't done anything. <laughs> holidays. Yeah, holidays. Family. Gosh, what are we thinking? Right. <laughs> um, sweet. So... Leaf, David, welcome. Um, thanks for bringing a shill on. We, like we've been talking about this for a while. Um, I think we we initially, you know, talked when we were down at AppSec USA, if I remember right, uh, bringing yeah. you guys on. So it's it's been a long time coming. Um, I, I guess first off, we probably want to do kind of at least a little bit more in depth introductions. Um, you know, Ashila was one of the engineers. If you could just explain kind of what both of you do um, at Segment, and we'll go from there. Sure. You want to go? Uh, yeah. So we're both on the security engineering team. Um, originally, it was AppSec for both of us, and then we kind of just merged in with like, the cloud security aspect of it. Um, so we do all of the different. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I love the quotes. <laughs> we do all of the. Security things that need building up. Yeah, it's kind of just like it turned into like one big ball. Whereas like the app is on AWS, and right. there's a bunch of stuff that the app talks to, and so the lines were pretty blurred between like what constituted some like AppSec or like ProdSec functionalities and what ended up being CloudSec. So now it's like a pool of engineers that can kind of just like work on anything within that realm, which is cool because. If you want to do one project one quarter and then do something drastically different the next quarter, yeah. you're not really confined to a specific team. Like as long as it's benefiting segment and segments customers, you can kind of just like work on whatever makes sense in that realm. That's kind of the best too, because if you've got like a set of things that you're interested in, and they may not like it may not be the same thing this week as it is next week or this this month as it is next month, and like that's the in my opinion, that's the best type of work is when you have like, could be just drastically different things that you're tackling like that, that makes you, it makes you excited because you're choosing to actually do something and choosing to work on something. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Like the stuff that like David and I worked on like last quarter was so different from each other. Like you were doing a bunch of the work around like the encryption, yeah. uh, like I don't know, you should probably just say like two sentences instead of me explaining your project. But yeah. 
so we were working on just encrypting all of our internal like customer data and things like that and how it's all handled. Yeah, it's basically just like a diagram of like where everything is going throughout all the segment tubes. Yeah, and, which is pretty wild considering it's like we are like I consider like segment to be one of those kind of like traditional like SF startups where everyone assumes it's like a microservice hell, it's using the latest like React and like Go. And so it's like building that map was like non-trivial. There was like dozens of teams with their own little map on what they'd been building. And so trying to combine those into one world view about how the data flowed through it was kind of a fun challenge. Yeah, and then contrast that with what I was working on, which was uh, integrating the Dropbox ZXC VBN password strength meter and Troy's uh, Have I Been Pwned API to our uh, password reset, change password, and sign up flow. So that was like a lot of UI work with React. There was a little like backend stuff like doing the connections to that external API. And then a lot of it was honestly like doing testing and like A-B testing with our activation team and stuff like that because um, they're obviously very sensitive to changes to our sign up flow, which makes sense because that's how we get customers that give us money that pay our salaries. So um, a lot of that work was uh, you know very different than like the stuff that David was working on, but they could I have a question about that. So first is, did you talk to Neil? And also, like, if it's in prod, um, what has been your uh, uh, sort of your experience with uh, like use end user feedback on that? Uh, so I, I mean, I have talked to Neil about other stuff. Uh, the thing I'm going to work on next quarter is two FA. So I know that that's uh, you know something that Neil is very well versed in. Obviously, be at his talk at APSA California. Um, so yeah, I think he'll be a good resource for that. And then for testing and prod, we didn't really do too much in terms of like getting direct feedback from users, but we have the ability to do A/B testing, and then we you know we call it segment for segment, where we just use segments own like analytics tracking calls to figure out like where people are getting stuck in various like signup pipelines or like you know wherever through the different like segment processes. So we could see like how many people loaded our our signup page, and then how many people actually like completed signup, and so we did that with fifty percent of users getting the new uh, like password strength enabled uh, signup fields, and then half of the users got the old signup field, and we were able to show there wasn't a a big difference between those two flows, and so that was uh, that was like our process for that. But prior to that, um, I did a lot of work with various people from our like project management team, our design team, working directly with some of the engineers that helped me like come up with the concepts. Like the initial concept was something that I wrote on a piece of paper with colored pencils. And it was like, hey, this is like what I'm thinking about doing. Like, uh, how is this something that we can turn into uh, a reality with segment using our design component libraries and stuff like that. And it was actually like a lot easier than I expected because we have this thing called Evergreen um, that has a bunch of components in it. And so I was able to just use all these existing components to create the, the different bars and the alerts and all the different things that uh, you want to give feedback to users. So uh, yeah, there's a, I learned a ton of stuff going through that whole process with the engineers and segment, which was awesome. I'm actually trying to look up Evergreen now. I'm curious. Oh, yeah, I see. Evergreen React UI framework. And for those that don't, aren't familiar with why that A-B testing is so important, uh, and Lee, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but if you 
if you're impacting even a little bit, basically uh, user users using your product because you make like password complexity, for instance, too difficult. Um, no, it's not going to work because you're going to lose the business money. So, yeah. so we were we we're pretty sensitive to that, and like I think that our security team is pretty practical when it comes to like coming up with security features and uh, like constraints in our users and things like that. So, um, I'm not sure if. Either of you or our listeners are familiar with the CXC VPN library, but it rates stuff from uh, zero to four, and we allow passwords of two through four strength. So we don't allow people to choose stuff that's like completely terrible, but like a password that's a two is still like not amazing, but it's not something that's like password one or like password one exclamation or like any of the traditionally okay passwords that fit the like eight character letter whatever whatever so we're just mostly trying to avoid people or help people avoid stuff like that and then the have i been pwned api uh is just to let them know if it's been something that's been in a previous breach so um we don't actually block on that right now it's just something that we give people a warning of but um we'd be interested in the future of doing some some more ab testing to see if that's something that would have a uh, negative impact on signups is if we were to actually like not allow people to use previously breached passwords. But I feel like that is a little bit uh, more difficult to do because a lot of people want to just use the same password everywhere. Um, what was the scoring system that you mentioned? What was the library? It's the bottom like six characters of your keyboard. Z, X, E, V, B, N. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, so that was the Dropbox, and it it checks a bunch against like the top thousand or so like most used passwords, and then it checks against like common names and surnames and dates. Uh, if you go to the GitHub page for it, it has a link to like tests or something. It's like low l o w e dot GitHub, whatever your guys is uh, the thing that you let people host stuff on. <laughs> And then <laughs> GitHub pages. Yeah, GitHub pages. <laughs> and then there's uh, like a bunch of examples of like what is a two, three, and a four. And it also provides like password feedback. We actually don't show that to users because uh, it was difficult to. Yeah. Well, we end up we give them feedback if it's a zero or a one, where we say, "Hey, this is this is too weak." But we don't give them uh, feedback that's tailored to the password because it was just like taking up too much space in the UI. So. Um, yeah, it's a pretty good library. It, between that and Troy Hunt's thing, um, it follows, at least from what I can tell, it follows all the latest like NIST guidelines for passwords where it says like, you know, allow users flexibility in choosing a password, but like avoid commonly used passwords, avoid, you know, super weak passwords, avoid stuff that's been in breaches, but allow them to do like, you know, four random words, even if they're all lowercase, you know what I mean? Like, you can just... It's pretty solid. Yeah, I think it, it's pretty solid and it's pretty practical. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the one thing I'd be interested in as you're getting in there and getting into it is actually just seeing how many of the, like from a statistics perspective, how many passwords people are choosing that are in that breach uh, database, right? We, uh, you, we could, you could almost just run those numbers and then, you know, that's how many people couldn't sign up, right? If they were to choose that again. Right. Yeah. So we so we have that actually. Um, I don't remember the exact numbers because one of the things that we did uh, 
use Segment's analytics package to track was what the, so for password change, we tracked like what their old password versus new password was in terms of score. Um, and then we also tracked like breach versus like non-breach passwords. And then we also tracked that for sign up. So it, the last time I looked, I think it was like 6% or something of people were using like breach passwords uh, for new signups now that we've put that in place. That number has maybe changed a little bit in either direction because I looked at this probably like six weeks ago. But um, I mean, if 94% of our new users are picking non-breach passwords, like I actually feel like that's pretty good. Yeah, I, yeah, I was afraid you were going to say like 40%, right? You know, just, but <laughs> yeah, I think it was. Like I, I guess most of your users are more technical than that, right? You, you go to Facebook or something like that, and I'm sure it's much worse. Yeah, like most of the people that are signing up for accounts are developers. And I think like developers, you know, most of them know like, hey, don't do password one and like are pretty used to working somewhere that has a security team that probably tells them like, or even like make good choices. Even like the marketing people signing up are probably better off than like someone to grab on, yeah. on Facebook. Yeah. Oh, totally. <laughs> yeah, segments users, I would say, are definitely more technical than like the average person. Yeah, I mean, I, and I would say the same thing about, you know, GitHub. I, I always give Ken crap for working at like an AppSec wonderland, right? Um, and definitely depending on where you're at, I, I, I would probably classify Segment as one of those as well in comparison with a lot of the organizations that I end up dealing with. So that's yeah. that's where I'm interested in seeing where that, you know, yeah. That, yeah. that line is. This would be way tougher to do at a company that's like targeting mostly like B2C where like the average everyday person that's not using this for work and like, you know, doesn't really care. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Ken, have you guys implemented the breach database there? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's why I, that's why I kind of, uh, um, had asked, uh, if, um, we've had, uh, talked to, to Neil cause Neil, um, and a couple other folks dealt with that. So, yeah, um, I think they, have that, I think they have that database duplicated in-house, so you're not actually making calls oh, really? out to the API. Um, yeah, you're right, you're correct. Um, yeah, we just use the API, because it doesn't actually send the password hash, it sends the first five characters, and then it returns with all the hashes that match those first five characters. And so Troy's API doesn't actually know what those hashes are. Yeah, I mean, I was gonna ask you, because before before you had said that it's non-blocking, I was like, "Oh, how did that work?" Because Troy had the, uh, the the outage there. Um, I don't know, a few weeks back, a month back, I think, or something like that. So that's why I was. Um, but you yeah. said it's non-blocking, so if it doesn't block, like it's kind of like whatever. Yeah, so if the request fails or whatever after like some not that long timeout, uh, it just doesn't show the message that would uh, you know show that the passwords has been breached. So, you know, obviously not great, but it's like, we're not going to stop somebody from signing up because we weren't able to check if the password was breached because that external service was down. So. Yeah. And as like time goes on, you can always like um, implement something later where you like give them warnings or something. Well, okay. Maybe not, maybe not. Okay. But when they go to change their password. Yeah. I store passwords over there. I know. Right. <laughs> Um, not in plain text, I promise. 
I mean, one thing uh, we probably should get to, because we never really talked about your backgrounds. I mean, I know like uh, you're, you're both speaking, you're both um, uh, involved in OWASP. Um, we got to, uh, Seth and I got to meet you at uh, AppSec USA, as a matter of fact. So that was pretty cool. But um, what we haven't done is get into any of your backgrounds. So if you could each, like starting with you, David, give um, so a few things. So one is just a, kind of a breakdown on your background in terms of like how you got, you know, what you've kind of what you've done up to this point, how, how you got how you got into uh, AppSec is the number one thing we're trying to figure out. And then the second part of that is talk um, for you know a couple of minutes about your like the talk you're going to give at AppSec Cali. Yeah, it's uh, pretty funny. I'm actually working here at Segment because of three previous podcast guests. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it started out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, started out when I was going to school and getting my master's degree and I was looking to get into a project um, around like active defense. Um, it just kind of seemed like a fun thing to build back then. Uh, and after looking around, didn't find anything uh, that really struck my fancy till I came across the app sensor project, um, which if y'all aren't familiar with, it's an OWASP project uh, sponsored by John Melton. Um, and so I ended up working with him for about a year on that. Um, implementing a new rules engine in it. So app sensor for like, I guess listeners who don't know, it takes events in from uh, your web application. So you'll put like just um, on a failed login, send to server an event. So another failed login. And after like three or four or so, it can do an action like, hey, lock that user out. Um, so it's just kind of like a whole system to do that. And so I built a rules engine on top of it that allowed you to like combine these different sensors and say, like, if someone's failed to log in five times and they're from a funky IP or they've done this and then they try to download a bunch of stuff, like, do some sort of insane alerting. Um, so it's kind of a cool project to, to start working on. Um, yeah, and to be clear, like, Seth and I have on many occasions on this podcast <laughs> and otherwise um, told folks if you if you want to get in, if, like, if you want to get into the uh, AppSec field, the community, um, or security in general, like that's a great way to do it. Even if it's just a developer job. I mean, like anything that uh, basically requires code, um, helping out on open source projects like that. Oh, so much. Yeah. I mean, all of yeah, the connections I have right now are through some way stemming from an open source project. Um, so I always vouch for that for sure, too, uh, when people are trying to get contributors to open source projects. Um, yeah. Go to meetups, write code, help yeah. people out. Yeah, and so it was through John, actually, that um, I would just talked to him. He was like, oh, you need to meet this uh, guy I know. You need to meet this guy uh, who built this tool, Breakman. Uh, I think you just enjoy talking to him. And so while I was still going to school, I ran I this like, random Skype conversation with Justin. So, That's sweet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. Everybody knows I have the biggest uh, uh, man crush on Justin, so. Um. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was a nice security blind date. Just like open up Skype and like, hi, John told me to talk to you. <laughs> like, hello. <laughs> uh, this was super cool. It was really fun chatting with him. Um, and then I started following him on Twitter. And then so this is about uh, it's almost like, like a year and a half ago. Yeah, I guess probably close to two years-ish now. Yeah, earlier a year and a half ago. Um, yeah, so he tweeted out that he's hosting a meetup at SurveyMonkey. Um, and I was living up in like Sonoma County, and he's down in like the peninsula. 
So it's like a two and a half hour drive, but I was like, all right, I need to get out of the house. Like, let's go meet some people. <laughs> let's go meet some fellow nerds. And so I uh, went down there and a couple of people presenting there, it was um, Flea from uh, Square, uh, which is pretty cool. And then it was Evan Johnson was one of the other people that were talking. And so yeah, right. Evan's a good guy. And uh, now I'm here at Segment. <laughs> and Evan's gone. <laughs> <laughs> and Evan left, yeah. Was it, and I think it wasn't long after you got there too, right? Uh, no, it was about six, like eight seven, months, eight months. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't too bad. Okay, I stand corrected then. I thought for some reason it was shortly after. I mean, I definitely awesome. kick him out quicker. We chased him out sure. of town. Yeah, we did our best to get him out here quicker, but. <laughs> Poor Evan. <laughs> <laughs> so um you know like i said one of the things we try to always figure out is like was there i mean i don't know that anyone ever is like oh i mean we've had a couple of people that kind of like they you know appsec specifically because they like found something weird in a website and then that's what led them to appsec but more gen gen generally it's like security and then somehow ends up in AppSec. So like from a security, was there any early signs when you were a kid? Is there anything that like happened during your uh, teenage years or anything like you were like, oh, okay, this is, I, I want to do something where I'm like um, dealing with security. Definitely, I think against the grain from a few of the other like podcast guests, like uh, what was it, Stefan Edwards, who's like hacking computers when he's like years old or something like that. Yeah. Like that's that Stefan level stuff. <laughs> uh, but now uh, I just like building things a lot. Ended up getting into computer science uh, in high school. I had a great teacher there. Then so was, was that your degree, computer science? Is that what you did for your master's and your undergrad, or was it something else? Computer engineering and then a master's in computer science. Um, okay. Yeah. Cool. And it was. Yeah. Uh, all sorts of paths, right? But yeah, go ahead, sorry. Oh yeah, definitely. And it was when I was going to school too that uh, I had someone from Raytheon come visit, this guy, John Wright, and he did this like 48 hours, like he's there on campus, it's intense to go, like you wanna learn hacking? Come here and learn how to like, learn about computer security. Went from like knowing nothing to like playing on, uh, back then Backtrack, now Cali. Uh, and it was like, at that moment I was absolutely hooked. Yeah, backtrack. Oh, I haven't heard that 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 name in a while. It's been a bit. <laughs> yeah, that cool. does so, date you a little bit, but it's all good. It's all you, good. I mean, you got you can't say a thing. You're like five <laughs> years older than me, so yeah, <laughs> five or twenty three years. Twenty three, whatever it is, right? Yeah, it works. So, yeah. yeah, you guys are the age where you still remember like what your first computer was. It wasn't just some like <laughs> generic gateway crap that your parents bought. It, it was like. <laughs> A C64, like something like that. <laughs> Actually, I, I just yesterday. Or to die. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, yesterday I got asked on the uh, on another podcast um, about uh, on the Application Security Weekly podcast, which, by the way, we're going to have Keith, who's on that, who runs that, uh, on next week, but. Um, they, they asked about the computer and I was, and that was actually my answer. I'm like, the first computer I owned was a gateway. We like didn't have money. Like it was a gateway PC. Like that's what we had. That's what, what we could afford. So, but in terms of the first computer I ever worked on, it's more like what you said at school anyways. Yeah. I, if somebody asked me that question, it's like, we just had some Dell something or other at my right. house. And I remember like using windows 95 and playing that, uh, like that weird game with the, 
you're in like the hover cars and you collected the flags. I don't know, that game was cool. Uh, but the first computer I like really remember like as specific as we had like a Sony Bio uh, in the XP days that was like periwinkle colored and it had like the matching monitor and keyboard and mouse. Did it have like a, oh, like a stylish clear see-through square frame? Yeah, yeah, it's very cool for the in the day. Yeah, I'm not even going to go there because I'm, I'm feeling really old right now. So we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, my, my, my yeah, my first was a Mac Plus, and it had a 10 meg hard drive. It was pretty sweet. Big time. Yeah, big time, right? You know, it had hypercar. Never mind. I won't go into it. It was cool. That 1960. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 50. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, poor Seth. Oh man, it's already oh, starting, man. It's 2019. We got to kick it off right. Yeah, I need to go to bed. In. It's like almost five o'clock. It's dinner time. So, yeah, never. <laughs> Judge Wapner's on. You got to get some tapioca. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, something like that. Bingo, bingo night. We're in, we're interrupting it. <laughs> so, uh, so <laughs> just moving on. So, David. Uh, uh, can you tell us a little bit about your talk at AppSec Cali about the, uh, I think you're going to be discussing using Zap. Yeah. Um, so after working on AppSensor, um, I got involved with the uh, OWASP Zap project, um, which is like burp, but free and maybe slightly less performant, some would say. Uh, now it's a great project, open source project. Um, and I've been working on a new feature for it, actually, for a while that finally got released a little bit ago in the kind of alpha stage. And so for people who are familiar using, like, Burp or Zap, um, you'll have, you know, your desktop window open and your browser open. And you're kind of going between the two. Um, and what I've built is called, like, a heads-up display. And so it's actually going to inject code into all the responses returned back to the browser and create this, like, dynamic overlay over it so you can access all the tools that you would use in Zap. Um, right in the browser. Oh, wow. Nice. So you're going to show how you, uh, so you, oh, that's pretty cool. And that's a, uh, so that's going to be on Friday. You're going to do that talk. Yeah. Yeah. So it'll be a lightning talk. I'll go over kind of, uh, how it works, what's new about it. And behind the scenes is actually like a lot of different browser technologies that kind of make it happen. Um, you could just use like a browser extension. Um, it's kind of like the first thought, but we wanted to have it be browser agnostic. Uh, one, so it's just less code bases. Um, and so we ended up using uh, a lot of different technologies, including service workers, just like multiple iframes running in it, and it all communicates back to Zap acting as a server. I know you uh, discussed like the fact that you work on cloud security and in the talk description mentions AWS kind of... Uh, it mentions AWS infrastructure in there. Like, what is your biggest challenge or biggest challenges with, um, I guess, if not AWS, just cloud security in general? Uh, like for me specifically, or like what we deal with here at Sigma? Yeah, like anything interesting that you've sort of seen or dealt with and, and had to come up with solutions for? Uh, yeah, and on that project specifically, I don't do too much, um, but, one of the things I'm working on right now is actually we're creating we have a bunch of Terraform modules for creating our uh, AWS infrastructure. Um, well, I'm creating a set of canned ones for our S3 buckets 
So when our developers want to roll out a new S3 bucket, instead of just using one and setting the options themselves, it's like very public bucket, like, uh, you know, private with this type of data in it. Um, and so on top of the fact that like now they know explicitly what they're doing, and we've set the safe defaults that we want on there, uh, actually putting in some data classification as well so that um, we can do some sort of like automated crawling through that to determine like what sorts of data do we have lying around um, to make it easier to kind of determine where bad stuff is. That seems like it kind of takes the Netflix Netflix, Netflix approach where their team does like the paved road path and then yeah. creates tooling to make um, stuff easy, but also like secure by default alongside being easy. A hundred percent. Like, I don't know how else you can deal with security at scale. And we don't even, we actually have a really great ratio of security people to developers. Yeah. But like I've heard stories of, you know, like one, two hundreds to crazy stuff like that. And the only way to get that done is to like do your best to enable your developers to do it correctly. Yeah, the Netflix team is definitely like a big inspiration for us over here at Segment. Um, we know a lot of the people over there and we've done like a security date with them where we went down to Netflix and just kind of talked about like the different challenges that our teams are facing. And obviously their challenges are a lot different than ours in most cases, but um, yeah, it was, it was really good. And uh, they, always have really good content at apps at California. And I know that there's a number of people presenting this year too. So um, I always try to go to their stuff. Yeah. I think you guys are going to do this uh, similar thing with our team. As a matter of fact, segment and GitHub. Um, yeah. We're going to, we're going to do like a, like you said, a security um, blind security. date sort of deal. <laughs> yeah. So no, but I mean, and this is the thing, like I love the idea of that of, cause actually, um, so with uh, with with Neil and Justin, that's how I met them was because we had the similar issues with Rails specifically, and like I think that there needs to be more of that where teams from they're like facing similar challenges all get together and kind of just like hey this is this is what we're and and you know like not as like a not necessarily a conference right like that's where some of that happens sure but like for um, yeah I feel like people get up there and where you meet people to like continue that conversation. Because, like, there's some stuff that, like, you just can't talk about publicly like that. And, I mean, obviously, it's great when you can. And I encourage people to talk at meetups and conferences and stuff. But I think nobody's under the impression that you can talk about, like, every problem the org faces in a public setting, especially when a lot of conference talks are recorded and stuff. So Yeah, there's certainly generic stuff like password complexity or, like, SSRF. Like, it's no secret that GitHub has, you know, you allow people to put in URLs for webhooks, like, you know, I mean, there's, there's, there's no, there's some things that are like obvious, but yeah, you're right. There are some things that are just, yeah, you can't talk about them. It's like, like this we can nice. share it with you over a video call that's just like our two teams because it's a bunch of, you know, like-minded security professionals, but we can't talk about it in like a public setting. Yeah, it's super cool that the industry is like, or I should say, the community rather um, is acting like a community more and more. Because I mean, I say that because Seth, I mean, I think you can speak to this when we were. Certainly, like in 2000, 2008, 2010, like social networking or uh, social media networking and, and like what it is now, like people are not as communicative at all. No, they as now. Yeah, they didn't discuss a lot of the problems. I mean, even in the, some of the stuff that we train people on nowadays, like those approaches were just like a closely held secret by consulting companies. Everybody had their own methodologies. 
and even internal teams, they wouldn't share that stuff out. Um, I know at, at some point, like there's a, there's like a financial, I think they call it like roadhouse or something like that. It's like the big banks, they do the same thing. Like their security teams all get together and share data, share information um, and how they're approaching problems. Cause they all have similar problems, but like that only came about probably within the last five years or so that it's really been that effective. Um, and yeah, back, I mean, back in our fishnet days, Ken, it was really just a closely held secret, right? Whatever problems you were dealing with, the the companies seem to see that as a secret or as some sort of intellectual property, but that's not, it's, that's gone away, which is a good thing. Or in some cases, actual intellectual property. That's yeah, a shout out to your, to your man, Gary, but. <laughs> yeah, I have stories about that. But again, it's probably not something we want to get into on the podcast. <laughs> probably not. So uh, moving on, Leaf. Um, let's get into your backstory a little bit. And then, uh, if you just, uh, again, like kind of give us the point at which you think where you were like, Hey, security is going to be the thing I'm going to do. And then also just a little bit about your talk at AppSec Cali. Yeah. So I was always like interested in computers from a young age. And for some reason, my parents wouldn't let us have, uh, like an N64 or PlayStation one but we could play video games on the computer, which didn't make any sense, because then I just played like Diablo 2 and Counter-Strike. And like, like way worse games. Yeah, a bunch of shit that's <laughs> way worse. It's like, I would have just been playing Mario Kart if you just let me get an N64. And instead it was like, all right, I'm just gonna play Counter-Strike with a bunch of weirdos on the internet for hours. Instead um, of bananas and fake made up little mushrooms, you got like uh, exact hanging out and blood and yeah. Yeah, and so that's kind of like how I got interested in Computers and I guess like technology as a whole and then a couple of like the early like things that I, I look back on that were like you know beginnings of like a security career I guess were I had a, a Razer cell phone if you remember those from forever ago the Motorola yes the Motorola little ones are yeah. like this big yeah yeah the flip at that time they wrote custom firmware for every phone so that all of their phone firmwares would look the same so if you switch from like an LG to a Motorola to whatever you know, you'd be familiar and like the text messages and everything would look the same, but their firmware sucked and it was really slow. Um, and so I read about online, like flashing the razor with the original stock Motorola firmware. And you had to go through all these steps to like get the carrier settings to work again and like be able to send text messages and like SMS and like all that stuff. And so that was like one of the first things that I like hacked, even though it was literally just like me following a guide that somebody else had written, like I was not contributing in any way. But that was like one of the first things that I like look back on. Um, and then another one was kind of like a combination of like hacking and physical security where, you know, like I was saying, um, my, you know, I, I played a lot of computer games growing up. And when I was in high school, uh, my dad was like, okay, you have to do your homework first before you can play video games. I was like, okay, that makes sense. Like, Gotta do schoolwork first, that's important. But the problem is, is sometimes I'd finish my homework before he got home, and then I couldn't get on the computer, and I thought that that wasn't fair, because <laughs> I, was like, I did my end of the bargain, like now I get to play Counter Strike. And so we had an office in our backyard, and he would hide the key, and then I would call him and be like, hey, I did my homework, and then he'd tell me where the key was for that day. And then one day, I copied the key, and so then I would just go and play and then he I accidentally 
like left the key in like a pocket or something that got washed, figured out that I had the key, <laughs> took the key away. And then I got a, what was it? I got a, I got a laptop and then I would connect to the router like from inside the house. And then he figured out that I was doing that. And so the next logical step was like going on Google and typing in like how to hack Wi-Fi. <laughs> and so <laughs> oh, that's awesome. back in the day, backtrack three, and I hacked my neighbor's Wi-Fi to get the Wi-Fi <laughs> password. <laughs> was it web? I got was it Wi-Fi after uh, like after I did my homework or whatever. And uh, I think at that time I was like playing World of Warcraft or something, but uh, yeah, and then I would I would do that. So that was like my first. Knocking uh, down your neighbor's web. Yeah, using, was it was it the web one where like you've got like three different terminals open to run? I forget which uh, program you would run on Backtrack to do that, but it was like, like you, you had like three different terminals to, to. What was that? Airmon NG was like one of the steps. Yeah. Then you had to have like a specific Wi-Fi card that like could do. Yeah, you have initially it was those Orinoco Gold cards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I had one of those. I'm pretty sure. So, commitment. You really wanted to play. Yeah. Well, it was Warcraft. It's basically just like you know, uh, yeah, everything on steroids, right? That was the greatest game. There, I think sometimes I would try and like the window open and like hop through the window, and, like go on the computer and stuff. So yeah, it was a mixture of. Uh, Physical and, and network security. Yeah, I had like yeah, don't, don't my like, alpha card. There you go, the alpha cards. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. right. And then I don't know. From there, I like I went. I went to school at UCSB. Originally, like didn't know what I wanted to do, but knew it was going to be like something science related. And so I took my second quarter there. I took chem, math physics and computer science. And I honestly had no idea what computer science was. I was just like, I like computers and this has science in it. And that was the only class that I like doing the homework for. And so I was like, oh, maybe I should just have this be my major because this is the only thing that I actually like doing so far. So yeah, I uh, ended up with a computer science degree. Uh, partway through my senior year, um, I started working at a security consulting company in Santa Barbara, uh, Redspin. I don't know if you've heard of it. Probably not. It was like a yes, piece. definitely. Okay, yeah, because okay, because you know, like David Shaw and yep. like yep. yeah. So yeah, Jimmy worked there at one point. He's been a guest. Jason Haddix worked there like way before I was there, and so I worked there for a couple years. Did everything from like social engineering to on-site engagement to like banks and hospitals. Um, but the thing that I liked the most was doing web app assessments because like the other stuff, um, I don't know, it was like, it was fun, but it was also kind of boring because it was a lot of the same stuff every single time where it's like your Windows patching is horrendous, like your third party patching is horrendous, like you have a bunch of things that have like default passwords, but like none of that was really something that like anybody who worked at those companies built. Like, you know, you could argue that they built the network or whatever, but I liked working the web app uh, jobs better because it's like you got to talk with the developers that like actually built this thing and like work with them directly to like help them understand like what these vulnerabilities were and you were like finding things that like potentially nobody else had ever found before in that app specifically. Like obviously you're finding like cross-site scripting and like the you know common stuff. 
but it's not like just running Nessus on a network and having it like do everything for you and then you like run Metasploit. And so that's kind of was like my first like actual security job was uh, doing consulting at, at Redspin and I did that for a few years. Yeah, that's always the fun part is that like um, tooling, I mean, Seth and I talk about this uh, a bit in the course, which is like tooling is great as as like an aug as augmenting your um, as augmenting your effort, sure, but like it's really fun and it's really that's where the 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 meat of it gets done is in that manual um, in that time where you're you're using some creativity and your brain, you're using your brain to figure some stuff out. So yeah, so that would be like the end of the engagement, right? Is like okay, I've found all the easy stuff with Nessus. Like now, let's try and uh, like use Metasploit or like start looking at some of these things that have default creds and see like where you can pivot from there, but that's like a fraction of like what you end up doing for most companies. Cause it's like, you could get hacked a million different ways because you just are so soft once you get onto the network that, you know, none of that stuff really matters because like it's 2013 and you're still vulnerable to like MS 08 or MS 08067, like the configure stuff. So, uh, yeah. Um, I don't know that, that part was kind of got old, but yeah, from there, um, I actually moved into a sales engineering role at BugCrowd. So I was like employee like 20 or something. And so I helped a bunch of companies like implement and run bug bounty programs. And I worked there for a couple of years. And then uh, about a year ago, I, I joined Segment. So this is my first time being on a like defensive security team and, uh, you know, working with like the same people all the time. And I, I like it. Uh, a lot. It's good to be able to partner with engineers over the long term and like actually see stuff progress versus uh, consulting where it's like, okay, you're, you know, working with them for like two weeks and, uh, you know, you don't really get to see like that much change. Like you're just pointing out a lot of problems. Um, but it was cool. Like I did like consulting in the sense that I got to see how so many different co companies do different things. I think it was a really good thing to get exposed to like early in my career because I got to see how a hundred different companies like do stuff to, you know, some were great, some were not very good, some were kind of okay in one area but bad in another. So I think that the variety uh, of consulting is is cool and is a good experience, but I prefer uh, what I'm doing now. I feel like to be a good consultant, you really should play defense because it um, I will tell you like from Seth mentioned fishnet from fishnet to then going, um, and working internally at living social to then going back out and doing consulting, like what I would report on and how I would approach the, the reports from between fishnet and the next gig as a consultant, totally different, totally different mindset and like what actually matters and what will be actionable and also how you write up the report for recommendations. A lot of things, a lot of things change and get, they improve. Yeah. It's like the difference between like a good bug bounty researcher and a bad one is like the bad ones just like copy and paste some references and like complain about stuff that like nobody at a real organization would ever fix. And then like the good ones actually like take the time to like understand your application and like find stuff that actually matters and like potentially give some like good recommendations and like, that's actually tailored to what they've found versus just like generic cross-site scripting articles that like nobody's gonna read. Or like you're using cookies that never expire 
but yeah. I haven't factored in that it's a client side cookie. That's how that works. Although, yeah. You know, there's right. other mitigating factors, you know, things like that. Yeah. No, I like, I, I go back and forth, right? Like I, I also think that there's advantages to being a consultant before going into the defensive side. Um, right. Exactly what you're saying, Leaf, as far as seeing so many different ways of doing things, both good and bad. Um, it makes a lot of difference when you're actually talking to internal teams and they're proposing different solutions from a security perspective because you're able to actually give them, hey, guess what? I've seen somebody go down this road before and that's not where you want to go, right? Um, just because of the problems that exist out there. I, I mean, I'd almost recommend that everybody kind of flip back and forth at some point in their career just because of the perspective that it gives you, right? If you get stuck too long in one or the other, it kind of feels like you lose a little bit of that perspective. I think if I were to do consulting again, I'd want to go somewhere where you're like partnered with companies for a longer period of time um, to actually like focus on improving like a portion of their security program or something like that versus like just doing, you know, like one week web app engagements yeah. or where it's like, okay, like give me the creds, like I'll have a report to you by Friday and like we'll do a wrap up call and then like maybe I'll talk to you around the same time next year or like maybe I'll never talk to you again. Uh, Those so. kind of managed services are becoming increasingly more popular with both the consultant as well as the client. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, you know, if I look back over like, you know, my career as a consultant, right, the, that was initially what we did at Fishnet, you know, probably about the same time you were doing that at Redspin. Um, but it's definitely gotten more towards, hey, guess what? We need a long-term partner here. Needs to be somebody that understands the application and can talk to our developers. Because if they can't, then it's 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 like a compliance check, and the yeah. value just really isn't there. And and the interest, from my perspective, isn't there as a consultant either. Because it's, hey, if you're not going to fix this, yeah, I'll, I'll find all these things, and then next year I'll come back and bill you again. But it's really not that interesting to me. Yeah, and I think that if you're doing that kind of consulting, it is much more similar to like being on a blue team than like mm -hmm. what people traditionally think of as consulting work. So I think that's like a good blend where it's like you're almost like a just a short term member of the internal team versus like an outside assessor. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I'd, I'd much rather have like a, you know, even if it is the same number of hours, but it's spread over two months versus a single week. At least at that point, there's some rapport and you're actually helping them out and you're, you know, reviewing their their fixes and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so, yeah, interesting. Yeah. So what are you doing? I mean, we've been going for over an hour already. You know, this always goes quick. But um, so what are you speaking on at uh, AppSec Cali? Sure. So my topic is uh, working with developers for fun and progress instead of fun and profit. Um, and it's just talking about like the different things or some of the different things that we've done at Segment to try and build great relationships with our developers because I think that um, you know a lot of people at modern-ish security orgs have realized like that's the only way you're going to be able to build a relatively secure product is like having good relationships with all the different engineering teams because. Um, it's not like we're pair programming with every developer all the time. Like we don't have enough people to do that and we don't want to do that. Um, so you got to just work with developers and have them like, uh, you know, be able to make good decisions on the, on their own. Some of it's like enabling them with like some of the stuff David was talking about where it's like you give them like secure by default configurations or something like the, 
um, NetSec project that Ashil was talking about where it's like, okay, you have a foundational team that solves this problem and then nobody else has to worry about it. Um, so we talk a little bit about like our training program for AppSec training. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about like the partnership that I uh, had with our activation team for the password strength thing and kind of how to replicate something like that. Um, like I mentioned earlier, I'm also working with one of our other teams to do MFA next quarter. And so like how to lay the groundwork for a good like cross-functional um, project like that. And then uh, a couple other things that uh, I've talked about at um, other conferences that um, we'll get like mixed back in. So yeah, cool. all about kind of like the like engineering culture side of uh, like running a good security program. Yeah, I, I mean, we Ken and I have talked about that a few times. Is like as a security, you know, as an application security or project team, those relationships and actually building that up. But it'll be interesting to hear how it how it works with you and what where it, you know you're taking it there at Segment because um, I've seen it work and I've seen it not work. Right? Um, yeah. Both as a consultant and internal team, right? It, it just like it seems like everybody makes the same mistakes, you know, telling developers no or forcing a tool set on them or whatever. Um, so it'll be it'll be interesting to hear how it is and how it's working out for you. Yeah, and it's one of those topics that I think that even if it's been given at a hundred different conferences, just like hearing how a different company or even like a different person at the same company has done things that have like gone well or not as well is valuable. Like. If there was somebody else that was giving the exact same presentation at AppSec like California, I would go to it because their experience is going to be different than what mine is at Segment. So it's kind of like, um, you know, some people are like, oh, there's been a million times where somebody's given the like building an AppSec program talk or like building a security program or whatever. But it's like everybody does that different and every company's different. So, you know, just because somebody from one company and somebody from another company gives the like, Hey, here's how I built a security team. Uh, it's like that doesn't mean that it isn't interesting for me to hear it from multiple people. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. when you look at the schedule of of Absec Cali, I think the, one of the things I like the most about it is it's like practical. It's not like a thousand new talks on or a thousand new talks on like a or a thousand talks on new XSS vectors or something like that. You know, this is actually like here's how you do X Y Z in various like your 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 program or you know, um, yeah, one of the things that I love to say about security conferences is like, I love going to, to quote unquote, like boring talks where it's just like, not a sexy topic, but it's something that like, literally every company has to deal with. And it's this, you know, exactly what you just said, it's like, I actually really don't care that much about a talk that's like, here's 100 like XSS vectors It's like, I'd rather go listen to somebody that is talking about like how company X does Y. Um, yeah, so that's that's what my talks about um, I think one of the big takeaways is like we focus on something that I actually heard at the uh, net one of the Netflix talks last year from uh, Asta and I think Thomas um, and it's the concept Patrick. of or Patrick yeah um, sorry Patrick if you're listening um, and it's the concept of a uh, security judgment and that's like one of yeah. the things that we love here at segment is just the concept of like we're not going to be able to teach you like everything that you should know as a developer. Like we don't even know everything. Like 
I would have done a way worse job of explaining like Ashiel's project, which is why we brought him on. <laughs> um, but it's like, we just want people like when they're working on stuff or doing code reviews or whatever, we just want them to know like, when to tag us in. And as long as they can identify like, hey, this thing is something that, you know, doesn't look right, or this is something that, you know, I'm not super confident in that's in this like, you know, realm of security. We're always available to take a look at stuff, whether it's doing like a full security design review or just like answering questions in Slack. So I think that's, uh, you know, like one of the big takeaways is like getting your relationship with every developer slash team to the point where they're, you know, more than happy to, you know, come to your table or whatever and share what they're working on. You're right. Cause it's, I mean, you can codify certain things and say like, if this is going on uh, or something like this is going on, open up a review or something like that. But then there's that other part that's just like, kind of almost have to give people like, like here's, if you, this, this makes your spidey senses tingle, like then you, you should talk right to us. Too many rules of what triggers a review. People are just going to read none of them. And so it's like, you want to have a set of rules that like covers all the really bad stuff. And then you want to have people kind of know, like for the medium bad stuff, like, that should just trigger something in their mind where they're like, oh, I'm going to go talk to David or Lee for you know, somebody else on our team. I know we've tried SuperRide 2 to make sure our developers know that we're taking like practical approaches to security because I think half the time people don't want to reach out because they don't want the extra headache because it's like no one wants to go ask for more work on their project. And like one of the things that I've been doing lately is if I can't explain or convince the developers of why the security measures needed, then like, Maybe like we don't need like that's on me because like sometimes like, oh like, here's a great like defense and death measure we should add this like well do we really need that I mean at that point aren't we screwed like all right no let me like try to explain like why I think like, that actually does provide real practical security yeah and I think something similar to that is like in our vulnerability management program like whenever we get something either from a pen tester or from that we find internally or bug bounty or whatever part of the fields that we have to fill out is like the severity description, which is like, it needs to be able to be understood by an engineering manager or project manager and an individual contributor on that team. And they need to be able to read that and be like, this is why I should care about this vulnerability. And this is why this vulnerability matches like whatever that severity is. And so, yeah, there's definitely a big focus here on like, you need to be able to explain something in a way that a developer can understand and take action on, even if you're not prescribing like a specific fix or something. Um, you know, you should have like some remediation criteria and like you should do a reasonable amount of work on our side to make it so that the developers that we're interacting with can, uh, you know, relatively quickly understand like, why is this a problem and like, what should I be doing? Yeah. And that's not necessarily a, a no brainer, right? I like th there's people that are really good at explaining that to the two developers and talking to developers at that level, but it's not everybody's know in everybody's skill set especially when they start start down that path um, yeah and it's definitely a little bit of like it's a combination of art and science too because it's part of it is like yes you need to have resources available and links to stuff and references and whatever if people do want to really like dig into this but then at the same time it's like you also need a shortened version where somebody can read like two sentences and understand like why this is a problem for segments customers yep yeah, it's got to be succinct enough and you know descriptive enough in that two sentences that somebody will, somebody can understand it enough to make sure 
that the impact is there and like, oh, all right, I see that SQL injection, they can dump my database, right? Uh, okay, and then talk them through that. Yeah, I, I, I'm interested to hear, right? And and it, like what you were saying as far as like going to the non-interesting talks, um, right? I, I can't tell you how many of those like, uh, like zero day talks that I go to that are just completely a waste of time, right? At security <laughs> conferences in general. What? Half the time I can't understand them because they're talking about like some technology I'm not familiar with. And there's like, that's the tough thing about like the super technical talks is like, you want to do some amount of level setting so that people that don't know anything like kind of know what's going on. But then the people that actually are experts in that field are like, this is so boring. Like you spent 20 minutes talking about this thing that everybody knows. And it's like, well, everyone doesn't know that. Um, and then like the last 10 minutes you get into like whatever the actual like interesting part for like experts in that field is. And like, I don't really know what the solution to that is. I kind of feel like some of that stuff, like it's better fit for like a blog post where you can say like, Hey, skip this section if you already are familiar. Um, and like, obviously that sort of research is really cool if you're somebody who understands like, you know, whatever topic you're going to, but, um, I'm not really like a security researcher. Like I'm not super well versed in like all these different technologies. Like I would go to a talk that's about exploits in like a technology that like we use and that I understand, but I'm not really somebody that's going to go to something like an IOT talk where it's like, okay, I like, you know, totally own this system. I'm like, I don't really know what all these protocols are, but like if somebody, one of the talks that we accept food for apps at California is uh, all about attacking GraphQL. And that's something yeah. is here at Segment. So it's like, I'm going to go to that talk because I'm going to try and learn stuff to bring back to where we work that and like help defend against uh, like attacks that the person talks about in, in uh, that conference. We so. Cool. Yeah. Um, well, good. Yeah, that's it. I, mean, I don't know. I mean, we're looking forward to apps at Cali, obviously. Uh, we've been talking about it for a while and, you know, outside of the training aspect, just the, the number of people that are there and the talks that come out of it are, are always pretty good. I've never been to it before, so I'm pretty excited. I, know, I mean, I know Ken's been there a couple of times. Oh, good. Uh, I've been there for three or three, three times, I think. It was pretty awesome. Yeah, it's a, I've been to everyone. I was one of the like founding organizers uh, when I lived in Santa Barbara and uh, helped with the Santa Barbara OWASP chapter. So uh, it's definitely one of my favorite conferences and uh, I look forward to it every year. Awesome, cool. Um, well, yeah, we have been going for what, hour and 15 at this point. Um, I think we'll probably try and wrap it. We do try to keep it around an hour, but um, it's been great to have both of you on. I mean, if you're interested, we'd love to have you both on again sometime or separately. Um, Right. Like Dave, I'm interested in like kind of the Z attack proxy stuff and the, the work that you're doing there. I think there's a you know deep dive that we could do on that as well. It would be really interesting. Yeah, I love that. That'd be fun. Cool. Um I I mean, Ken, do you have anything, you know, kind of last minute before we wrap up for tonight? No. Um actually um not a whole lot. We got the AppSec Cali training coming up, and then we gotta figure out where we're gonna go after that. There's all kinds of uh conferences and I haven't figured out yet. Um, I don't think either of you have figured out what, where we're going to attend. I think LocoMoco SEC in April. We'll, likely, be, but. we'll be at B-Sides SF because um, that's in our backyard. And I think 
You're speaking. Oh, yeah, I was speaking at B sides. Yeah. Yeah. So if anybody's around at B sides SF, for, uh, you know, segment teams there. Cool. And so then how putting. Oh, no, I was going to say, I also put in your Twitter links, uh, but Seth, you're getting to that. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask is how can people reach you online? Like, wh where can they find you? Yeah, so my, my DMs are open. Uh, if you have any questions, if you want to chat or whatever, uh, like most of the InfoSec world, I have a Twitter tab open most of the day. So uh, <laughs> that's how I get all my news other than like this and risky business. So uh <laughs> Yeah, that's probably the best way to reach me. Or like, if you see me at a conference uh, and recognize me or whatever, just come up and say hi. But uh, that's a little bit more restrictive than Twitter. So, yeah, cool. Yep, on the Twitter as well, David underscore Scribonia. Yeah. That's super easy to spell, right, David? Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> we'll put we'll put it, we'll put the link in the description. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, and I'm leaf no underscore Dreisler, which is also super easy to spell. But yeah, I'm sure there will be links in the, uh, the show notes or, or whatever. Sweet. For sure. Good call. Um, well, thanks again for joining. Uh, don't drop off. We're going to, you know, we'll end the broadcast here in a minute. Uh, but it's been great to have you. Appreciate the, the support and then also bringing us out for apps at Cali. You know, we're yeah. super excited about that. And yeah, I'm excited to take the training. Yeah, cool. All right. Thanks, Thanks. everybody. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Bye.